Welcome, one and all, to the Book and Film Globe podcast, coming to you from my home recording studio in Austin, Texas, alongside my super dogs, Briar and Visenya. I am Neil Pollock, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover, we extensively cover, the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. We have a fun show for you this week, as always. Stephen Garrett will be along shortly to talk to me about Magic Mike's Last Dance, a film, the third film in the Magic Mike series, now grinding in theaters near you. And Rachel Llewellyn will be here as well to talk about a couple of TV programs. Poker Face, which is airing on Peacock, starring Natasha Leone as a sort of 1970s-style TV detective. That's really fun. And then um, Conk on Earth, starring Diane Morgan as Philomena Conk, that comes to us from the UK and is on Netflix now and is one of the funniest things you will ever see on television. We'll be right back to talk about Magic Mike's Last Dance. Steve and I will keep our clothes on. Magic Mike is back for a third movie. When the original Magic Mike came out a decade ago, you didn't think it would be, uh, you know, a trilogy like like Star Wars or The Godfather. And it's not a trilogy like either of those things. It's a pretty slight franchise, honestly, about <laughs> male strippers. Um, Magic Mike's Last Dance, starring Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek, directed by Steven Soderbergh. I thought Steven Soderbergh was retired. Uh, but he just seems to keep making movies, so it's, it's like the most active retirement I've ever seen. Um, Stephen Garrett uh, has written a review of Magic Hello. Mike's Last Dance, uh, and I have seen Magic Mike's Last Dance. My wife and I went to see it together. There, there was a uh, Stephen. There was a 7 p.m. Uh, showing at the Alamo Draft House that was supposed to be a rowdy screening, mm. but uh, we didn't we we didn't go to that one. I was like, I don't want to go to a rowdy screening. Oh. Well, uh, my wife my wife got home from work late too, so we couldn't we just couldn't get to the rowdy screening. So we went to a, a non rowdy screening, very poorly attended, of Magic Mike's Last Dance uh, at eight p.m. Anyway, everybody was at the rowdy screening, probably. Yeah, I think that the the rowdy screening had more seats sold for sure. But you know, here's the thing about Magic Mike's Last Dance. You know, man, I can I can see why audiences got rowdy in the original Magic Mike. I mean, that was like. The stripper movie to end all stripper movies, right? The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. You know, well, the, the, the only, really. It was the only, it was, it was, you know, it was the, the, only. the, the, the Rocky Three of stripper movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the, the, you know, Magic Mike's Last Dance, here's the thing. It's not a stripper movie. Mm. You know, not Love really. Love letter to strippers. Is it? It's a dance. It's a dancing movie. It's kind of a. No, there wasn't enough stripping in it for you. There wasn't enough adult entertainers. Yeah, it's like staying alive to Saturday Night Fever. That's the way I look at it. It's like because <laughs> it, it, because you know you think about it right. Like in Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta was like an underdog working class guy who rose up through the world of disco dancing. In Magic Mike, Mike, Mike was an underdog working class guy who rose up through the world of stripping. And then, and then the, the sequels, the subsequent sequels, Magic Mike XXL is a different story. That was sort of a middle movie that was actually pretty good. But, you know, then it's basically like a cheesy Broadway show. You know, it turns what 
was the magic of Magic Mike into this cheesy theater production. It's weird. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean it's slight, and it's it apparently was inspired by the the uh, the stage show that uh, Channing Tatum put together with his choreographer that Soderbergh was happy to attend, but didn't have any interest in actually being involved in. And then once he saw it, he thought, "Oh my god, this is so fun! I see a movie in this." And then kind of you know the the third film uh, was so, born. I didn't know that. So Channing Tatum made a, like a stripper dance show with his choreographer. Apparently it was like some review, like, so apparently there was a Broadway show that was being conceived that Soderbergh, I think, had a hand in, but it kept falling apart. It didn't quite work and they couldn't find a way into it. And then in the meantime, Channing Tatum and his his choreographer were like, we have an idea for a stage show. Do you mind if we just put on a stage show in like a review uh, that we could put on in London? And so they went off and did that. I think it was called Magic Mike Live or something like that. And then Ah. that was like a totally different kind of way into the story. In fact, there's not a story apparently, you know, and I think it was just more low stakes and more kind of out of left field. And, uh, it, they just, you know, went on from there. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, that kind, of ma- that, that kind of makes sense. But the story in, but that's not what magic Mike's last dance is about. So like, Basically, like, he's working as a bartender in Miami because COVID has killed his handmade furniture business. It's his poor handmade furniture business that you keep hearing about in the other two movies. The tragedy. The tragedies of COVID just keep compounding. It killed Magic Mike's small business. Um, and he's working as a bartender, and like, you know, like for a party down, like, outfit. And uh, Salma Hayek is this incredibly rich um, woman who is throwing a fundraiser for the whales, I guess, or the, or the Tulkun, uh, as they call them, <laughs> in Avatar, the way of water. And um, and I don't know, they have a sex. <laughs> they have a sex. They have a, they have the sex. He does a sexy dance for her, and they have... A, you know, that, that's actually my favorite scene in the movie, and that's right away. Like they, There's this very sort of erotic dance sex scene between yeah. Salma Hayek and Channing Tatum, who are both beautiful uh, physical performers, um, and it was, you know, very Fifty Shades of Grey, very, uh, very watchable. Uh, you know, I guess you got watchable. My, my and wife, frankly, like, my wife was certainly watching it. Yeah, hello. But you know, nobody. There was no. Uh, you didn't see any JJ or any. Uh, you know. No, is it right? It was like any, any it was, peen. It was, there was no peen or poon. It, it was Skinamax. Um, yeah, it was Skinamax. It was, very, it was very, a lot of very, very soft. A lot cool. of dry humping. A lot of dry humping. Well, yeah, yeah. They, 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 there's very little flesh. You know, and it was wholesome, almost it was like wholesome erotica. Uh, but then Salma Hayek instantly whisks Channing Tatum away to London, where she lives for some reason, um, m- married to a guy who's supposed to be like this kind of Logan Roy from Succession style media magnet, but he's really just kind of like a, a weak college professor. He barely is in them, he barely appears in the movie. Um, and th- they're going through some kind of nasty divorce. And she has this weird butler who gets a lot of scenes but isn't funny. And her the daughter who's Mr. narrating Mr. it. Mr. Belvedere. Mr. She's, Belvedere. You know, she's a Hispanic, Latina of some sort. Um, and the husband is very, very British and white. But they have an adopted black daughter named Zadie um, who, is, who is a novelist and, and also a teenager. And she narrates the whole thing. You know, and so it's like all that stuff's really stupid. And then um, – and she wants to put on like – she thinks Magic Mike is so incredible that she wants to, him to put on a stage show 
because she owns this theater. It doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. And then they recruit like the best dancers in London. From Plus the Rando from like, where is he from? Spain? Or Rome. He's from Rome. From Rome. That's right. Yeah, she finds on YouTube and buy, and apparently buys him a train ticket. <laughs> how, how generous. How long does it take to, the train from Rome? I mean, that's a long train ride. From Rome Actually, to it's a long train ride. That's like a two day train ride. He's like, yeah, he's not going yeah. to be able to dance after that. I don't care how fit he is. He's <laughs> stiff as shit. You know? Eh, Europeans like trains. They like trains. Yeah, no, yeah, but you know, and then it's like so, like all these like pop and lock break dancers from the street, um, you know, and then then they put a show together, and then there's this really annoying actress um, who like, right. you know, she's really annoying, and she's like in it a lot, and she, she I don't know what she's supposed to represent, but uh, whatever it is, I didn't like it, and the whole thing is just kind of, it's just kind of weak, you know, and it's like Magic Mike puts together this like choreography. That's supposed to like be kind of like what strippers do, but it doesn't end up really being what strippers do, right? And they only do yeah. one show. It's just so, this whole the whole thing is just so stupid. And then there's like this weird water ballet. Yeah, the water ballet at the end. That's pretty good. That was pretty good. That's the thing. It's like yeah, that was like weird and you know it was like enchanting Tatum basically. Mike finally dances and he does like a a water ballet where he essentially like has sex with the ballerina who is standing in for Salma Hayek um, and uh, who's in the audience. And um, the, and that and the sort of the first um, dance scene are sort of the best scenes in the movie, really. And then the movie well, just, and, then it just kind of ends. And it, they mirror each other, right? Because like he's in, in this weird water ballet thing, which uh-huh. is inspired by this tense dramatic moment the two of them have outside the theater in the rain and so he kind of reimagines it in this sort of gene kelly way like a ballet suite at the end of the film right where on stage it's raining and they're doing this balletic uh dance erotic dance which is basically a variation on the opening erotic dance lap dance that he gives selma hayek right yeah i mean there, I, I noticed a certain amount of like similar positions, et cetera. Yeah, well, I mean, to the point where they actually they actually cut away from the sh- the scene we're watching to the original erotic dance, right. as if we as if we were morons who couldn't make the connection. Yeah, yeah, we don't remember from from an hour and a half before. Um, so I think, I mean, look, I think it depends what kind of movie you're looking for and looking at. I I I was more, I had a better time at it. It is a slight film. For sure. And actually, it was a reason for me to return to the first film, which I really enjoyed when it came out 10 years ago, like you're saying. And I had actually skipped the second one because it just seemed stupid. But now, uh, having watched that second one, I, I actually had a like, an, a like a surprising appreciation for the second, one, which was much better than I thought it was going to be. And a little more heartfelt and a little more um, endearing, you know? The, the problem is, you know... The the um, second banana stripper, second banana strippers in in, 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 um, in the first two movies had personalities and, and and characters and bits and things to do, whereas none of the uh, dancers that uh, they bring in in this movie have even have they don't really even have lines. They don't. You know, there's nothing to distinguish them other than you know their their fabulous torsos, which are fabulous and they they can all dance their asses off, but like. It's like, you know, you had Joe Manganiello in the first one and you had other kind of supporting, you know, character actors who also dance and strip, you know, whereas in this you don't have that. And so like the whole thing, Channing Tatum is very charming in it, 
But the, the lot of the movie rests on this insanely manic performance by Salma Hayek. And I just, so I mean, manic, yeah. she looks good, but she is awful in this thing. <laughs> I don't know. I had more fun at it. I mean, you know, like the first one, I grant you the dancers in this one, the third one are really not very charming, not very interesting dancers either. There's a sloppy sort of, um, talk about manic. There's a, there's a manic style of choreography that seems to be in, in vogue for the past 10 years that's on that show so you think you can dance or in those step up movies where if you do enough pop and locking and you're in sync with somebody else and suddenly that's choreography whereas yeah. it just seems like freestyle and there's some cool moves but there's no story to it or it was very sort of it was very halftime show it was very nba game mid-season nba game halftime show yeah 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 exactly i mean it's just like a lot of flash and sizzle but it doesn't really, uh, I don't want to say there's a narrative to the dance, but there kind of is like in certain, in the best musicals, the dancing feels more organic and actually seems to propel at least the emotional story, if not the actual story forward in this one. And I felt like in XXL, actually that whole elaborate stage review that they create at the end, you know, for the Myrtle Beach male stripper conference, <laughs> actually is kind of delightful and very adorable in the way that it's kind of telling a story or well, creating vignettes. But the know? problem this, is, this, like, the problem is like this, this whole let's put on a show thing, just it just didn't quite work. Like, why no. were they putting on a show? You know, were, they, they, the whole thing, like, I mean, there was this cute scene on a, on a bus where they kind of seduced this bureaucrat into giving them permission to put on the show. But really, would a bureaucrat actually care that the stage risers were three quarters of an inch yeah. to look, of course not. So the whole thing, it was just a really dumb script. You know, it's a really dumb, hurriedly written script. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think I for me, it's like, I, I don't disagree with any of those things, but I, I think I was just looking for something else or, or was attracted to something else in the movie, which is. Oh, were you? Much, were you yeah, attracted? Hello. You like, you, you like the abs. Let's face it, which is fine. <laughs> which is fine. There were some great abs. There are a lot of really impressive apps. But I no, just, no, no, no. I, I just don't I, feel I like felt, the rowdy screening would have been that rowdy because there's nothing to get rowdy about. That's fair. But you know what? Actually, in the first two movies, too, I forgot how, first of all, they're a solid two hours, as is this, right? Like, you're just like, well, wait a minute. This is a lot longer than I thought for a movie that's supposed to be about stripping. Um, there are a lot of long stretches of people not dancing or stripping, right? Um, and yeah. then there are these certain set pieces where there is. I, 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 I kind of agree with you with this one. There's probably the least amount compared to the others. I'd be surprised if there was just as much because it didn't feel it. Uh, mainly just because they weren't that remarkable or memorable or they weren't stitched into the story that well. But I, I felt like the first one's very much about youth and about st the stupidity of youth, right? Because you have the kid who's like 19 and then you have Channing Tatum who's an overgrown boy. He's like a man child who's 30 and is completely irresponsible and reckless and kind of gets his comeuppance at the end of that. Then the second movie is very much like this last hurrah we're all you know we're we're our we've come to the end of our ropes we're getting a little too old to be stripping right but we're going to do it one more time because we still can and we're going to make it fun and romantic this third one is very much like channing tatum's characters like mike you know mike lane is 40 he shouldn't be dancing he doesn't want to dance he even says like i don't do this anymore selma hayek is this really sad kind of middle-aged um Yes, married, but separated, wants to get divorced, is kind of in a gilded cage, which is, of course, like the subtitle of the cheesy, you know, stage play that they kind of usurp and turn into a cabaret. Um, so it's very much about being stuck in life, 
you know, looking for second chances, looking for new inspiration, looking for a second act, you know, trying to move forward. And I, I just responded to that. Maybe it's because I'm middle-aged and I saw in that, you know, things I could relate to. I don't and know. I, I tried you know, doing that. I tried my dance moves. I tried doing that dance move from, from my wife. <laughs> When you I and your wife home. did it when you got home. When I got home, home like, you. like you're gonna throw your back out. Stop it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I could have just called this movie how Salma got her groove back. And <laughs> I don't disagree, but I I think I just found it more romantic than the other three, more romantic than I was expecting, and kind of charming. I kind of you know I went with Selma and and Channing's characters and their personalities and their charisma as movie stars. I, I couldn't see it because my eyes were rolled so far back into my head that I, I, I couldn't I couldn't quite get a handle on it. That's cheesy. But you know what? Also, like, who the hell is doing any sort of either uh, sexy romance or eroticism on screen in a way that actually feels convincing? I don't want to say old fashioned, uh, but it's not, you know, it's not porn and it's not the complete lack of porn, which I think are the only two options these days. You know, yeah, it's a movie for polarized. it's a movie for adults. Um, but I guess I'm just I'm just immature or something because I couldn't. <laughs> even though I'm middle aged man, I couldn't quite relate. Anyway, I know, it's kind of happy right, so, that it exists. It's, so it's, it's you're, you're happy that it exists. I I am happy that it exists, so I can make fun of it. Magic ah. Mike Magic Mike's Last Dance is in theaters. I I, I suspect fairly briefly. And then it will be on streaming, and you all can practice your dance moves at home. Steven, thank you so much. Um, let's uh, next time we're we're together and in the same city. Let's put on a show for the ladies. My pleasure. <laughs> I'll get at the uh, assless chaps and <laughs> the knee pads. Great, I can't, I can't wait. Pads. I forgot about all the knee pads that the guys need. Yeah, well, you know, the older you get. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right, thanks a lot. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks. Nothing mystical about it. I could just tell. And anyone is lying. Yeah. I know what you did, you psycho. You're gonna find Charlie Kill, and you're gonna bring it to me. You live on the road, right? What's it like? Leave everything behind. Start fresh. I got wolves on my fender. Oh, I gotta keep moving. Holy, holy. It wasn't an accident. I, I think there's been a murder. Red, please. Look out! I have been kind of a death magnet. I'm trying to figure out what happened. You watch too much Dateline. I could tell she was lying. That was some material from Poker Face, which is a new uh, crime anthology detective show, really, um, on Peacock, uh, created by Ryan Johnson, who made the Knives Out movies and is sort of becoming an expert in the quirky uh, detective throwback genre. It stars Natasha Lyonne as a uh, sort of a gambler gone crime solver to some extent. Uh, I have not seen this show. But we have written an excellent review of it, and Rachel Llewellyn wrote the review, and she's here with me to talk about Poker Face. Hello. Hey, Neil. How's it going? Glad to be here. 
I'm doing well. Um, and I'm, you know, like, uh, I don't want to lie about anything because I know that the character from Poker Face is, is going to find me out. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the, you, you know, you're, you know, you write a lot of stuff for us. Uh, and rarely do I see something get such high praise from you as Poker Face. I mean, you seem to, you, you have a real affinity for this, this character and for the show. Yeah, it's lodged in my craw, Neil. I, I, I like it. I like to think that I, you know, I'm pretty, pretty even keel when it comes to, you know, new shows that come out. But in terms of Natasha Leone, it's really hard for her to do any wrong in my book. So I already was a little biased towards checking it out. And if you like it, the response on social media has been really incredible to this show. I mean, people find her so refreshing and relatable and it's a really interesting kind of episodic take on you know these old classic detective shows that a lot of us love and it's finding a new streaming audience and a whole new generation of people falling in love with this type of mystery and the way that it's told now um you know basically simple plot here is that yeah she can detect a lie uh, with 100 percent accuracy she's never wrong and so she's used that to uh you know do some card sharping and uh, she ends up, you know, in kind of a, <clears throat> I guess, a service industry type of role. This is a really kind of working class type of type of tale. They keep it pretty blue collar. But she, <laughs> she ends up working at this casino as a cocktail waitress. And through a series of misadventures, she gets roped into, uh, you know, a, a high stakes con job. It ends up going bad, and she goes on the run where she encounters a series of different. Uh, I guess, murder mysteries in different little communities as she's kind of traveling on the run. So the travel narrative makes it real easy to keep it episodic and people love it, Neil. So she's traveling around. Is it all in Nevada or is it just sort of the Mountain West or does it, does it go does it go from locale to locale? Mountain West so far. Um, she's been working her way kind of across, like you said, the Western U.S. So it's been like really kind of warm palettes, as I mentioned in, in my review and uh, really kind of buttery tones. It's really uh, pretty to watch with these, you know, panoramic vistas, a lot of those, you know, wide shots. Um, and she's absolutely perfect as like this kind of desert ratty, you know, type of character who is able to sort of go amongst the hoi polloi and uh, suss out the truth and bring it to life. So, you know, everyone's drawing comparisons to Columbo. And from her mannerisms to the structure of the story, I mean, they're called, um, you know, I mentioned in my, in my review, they're called how catchems, the opposite of a whodunit, where right. you already know who did it. It's just kind of watching Charlie, is Natasha Leon's character, watching Charlie kind of go through and figure it out with kind of a secret weapon that a lot of detective shows obviously don't have. Right. Well, there is there was that sort of genre of like, of de detectives with a secret weapon, you know, people who are super smart or who had, the, you know, some sort of mathematic mathematical genius or whatnot. Those kinds of shows were were popular on um, CBS and whatnot. But this has more of a, I mean, I'm not going to say it has an art house feel because I don't, I don't really consider Ryan Johnson to be, you know, an art house uh, d director or show creator. But it's kind of got a, there's a little bit of a hipster vibe, right? Like this isn't like a entertainment for the squares there's like all these all these really cool guest stars right there's some atmospherics so it's, it, it's elevated a little bit above that network fair right i agree it each one stands alone kind of it's a mini cinematic narrative each one kind of brings its own features and functions to the overarching story arc i guess 
And so it's, you know, I, I do mention in the article, it's, Ryan Johnson does great with episodic storytelling, and he has the cinematic background to make each episode standalone stylistically. And obviously, there's different productions to have behind a lot of the episodes. He directed, I think, the first episode. But he's the writer creator, so you know that's you kind of you definitely see that signature throughout. But um, I think he does a really good job of drawing each one together while keeping them distinct. Uh, are there? Um characters who carry over from episode to episode other than Natasha Leone? Um, yes. I don't want to give away too, too much in the narrative, but Benjamin Bratt will be reappearing in a few different episodes. He plays kind of the, the powerful casino moguls, right-hand man enforcer. So he's kind of a tough guy. He's real slick and uh, sinister in this role. So it'll be an interesting side of Benjamin Bratt if, if you are, you know, watched any 90s detective shows you know who that actor is so he does a really uh polished role in that and ron perlman uh will be reappearing as well he's only appeared uh, via voice so far but he plays the casino owner who's ultimately after her and so we're going to be seeing a lot more of him as uh, her story climaxes in, in that arena so in addition to the uh sort of crime of the week there's also an overarching uh storyline um involving her. Yeah, she's kind of on the lam for multitudinous reasons, and it sort of chases her down throughout a lot of the episodes. Um, you know, uh, there, I guess there are a few different running narratives, and, you know, I, I'm interested to see, hopefully, as if we get the end of season one, and hopefully season two, I mean, the critical response has been such that I, I would expect to see a second season. Um, but hopefully we'll see a little bit more of her history and her backstory because she's real nomadic and, and rootless and doesn't really have a history. So I'm hoping they round out her character a little bit more instead of making her sort of like a foil against the other amazing character actors. I definitely don't want to detract from, from their um, amazing performances, but um, she basically is a foil to a lot of these stories. So I'm hoping we pick up with a little bit more of her background and she gets a little bit more of a chance to shine. I'm a little frustrated, I will admit, because, you know, it, this is on Peacock, which is essentially, as far as I'm concerned, NBC, but you have to pay for it, <laughs> you know? And it's Yeah, like, if you want to know that. The whole point of NBC is that you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> right, you right. But if you... You, have to, you, have to ha you have to sit through the commercials, <laughs> but you don't have to pay for NBC. It, it, it's supposed to come into your house for free. So, you know... And, and, you know, Peacock is not a streaming service with a, with a ton of subscribers. So it's just kind of odd to me that this show, which is a huge critical darling, and everybody I've talked to, I, I'm surprised how many people I know have Peacock. But Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think a lot of people have Peacock, just like for The Office, you know, the extended fan <laughs> episodes, I mean. But uh, Peacock is really starting to build, like, a strong stable of, like, good, like, comedy and drama shows. I'm, I'm really hoping something comes to mind right now, but I can't. Nothing jumps to mind. They have one or two, like, really strong lead shows besides Poker Face that I think it's worth kind of drawing attention to. And, I mean, what's the subscription? Like, six bucks, seven bucks? Like, I think it's definitely worth at least doing the trial for Peacock and see, like, how much you can find. Because there's, there's a lot of good stuff on there. They have, a, they have Columbo. They got murder. She wrote. Right. So they're carving. <laughs> they're they're niching it out for the because yeah, it's funny like how many um um 
younger viewers love Columbo and Murder She Wrote. There's there's a there's a lot of affection for that kind of show, and Poker Face is that show for uh, the 2020s. Yep, I agree. Uh, it's got me hooked. I watched the newest episode last night, and Ellen Barkin was amazing. Just really stole the show. Right on. Well, Poker Face is on Peacock. Whether you have Peacock or not, that's where it is. And uh, Rachel will will stick around, and she will be right back to talk with me about um, my favorite new comedy show of the year, Kunk on Earth, which is now airing on Netflix. Apparently, I've only been given half a minute to tell you about my venture up humanity. That's hardly long enough to explain the pyramids. It's obviously just big bricks in a triangle. I'll be asking questions. What was the Soviet onion? And go to every corner of a globe without corners. Do we know if China has a roof? So join me, Philomena Conk. This is Conk on Earth! That is a clip from Kunk on Earth, which is a new comedy series now airing in the U.S. on Netflix, although it, it aired on the BBC previously, uh, I think uh, late last fall. You know, what is this exactly? What are, what are we listening to? I've had people compare uh, this to Ali G or to other sort of fake uh, British mockumentary programs, but I, I, it's kind of its own, its own um, beast, I think. Uh, Rachel Llewellyn has stuck around. So talk to me about this show, Rachel. You're still here, right? I am. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Philomena Kunk is, was a character who uh, British uh, comedian Diane Morgan created for um, these year-end specials that Charlie Brooker, who is best known in the U.S. for creating Black Mirror, he would do these for the BBC or for some British broadcasting entity. And they were the, sort of these, he just slag off on the news, basically. And uh, he had these fake commentator commentators uh philomena kunk and barry Shitpeas were some of the names uh that, that he used and they they would they would they were sort of parodies of tv talking heads and philomena proved so popular that she got her own series basically uh she did something called kunk on britain which was like a fake richard attenborough series about british history and she did a christmas special and kunk on earth was uh basically a History of human civilization, like the kind of thing you'd see on Discovery or the History Channel, but but done everything's just just a little bit off. And you know she's so incredibly stupid that um, you know it, that's the comedy is that she she's as she's an uh, ignorant modern person and literally knows nothing. I mean she refers to the Dark Ages as the Dark Ages. <laughs> she refers to Abacus. She said you know the uh, the people who invented math counted on something called. A Bacchus. <laughs> I think you stated it perfectly. It's it's kind of the uneducated modern person encountering you know history in these larger kind of cultural moments, and she's really broadened that out. Her Britain series was so popular that uh, it's nice to see her kind of uh, put everybody under under her incisive investigative journalism powers. Yeah. But yeah, it's she's so bad at it though. I mean, she asked these incredibly stupid questions. I mean, she she asked this historian at one point if if the Romans invented anal bleaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really wild out there stuff. Yeah. Very Gervais adjacent. I mean, you know, she was in you know his show Afterlife. She was one of the characters in that show. And and it, the humor is really, really similar. It's kind of like a mix of an idiot abroad 
and like Stephen Colbert style kind of mock interviews. I mean, it's it's true that a lot of these news shows and just educational media in general, it's just such a self-serious medium. It's perfect fodder for satire. And all you have to do is kind of go the other way with the writing. Like, like you mentioned, like fart jokes, you know, butt stuff, but keep the serious format and all the, the gravitas. And under that banner, you can just be endlessly idiotic. I mean, the voice deep. It's so dirty. You know, there's the, well, yeah, there's a lot of, there's kind of a butt obsession. There's a whole, she has this um, (laughs) recurring character. She brings up her mate, Paul. um, And uh, you know, he's always getting into trouble and she's talking to this, this historian of Greek theater and she talks, she mentions this story where her, her mate Paul um, knew someone who got a, a new potato, stuck up their bum, and couldn't get it out. And then she asks the historian if that qualifies as a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> and she plays it so straight. Yeah. And, it's and, and, it's yeah, incredible. And, and the, you know, I don't think the comparison to Ali G is actually that apt because these academics are all in on the joke. And there's one moment in the, in the it's a five episode series, in the final episode, they're talking about Elvis, and um, she, she's, Philomena is is asking this historian, you know, if if El, the reason they didn't show Elvis from the waist down in the videos is she asks, it's is it because he was naked? And the historian says, no, no, he's just moving his hips in a suggestive way. And and then uh, Philomena's like, yeah, well, because if people um saw Elvis's penis, they probably would have had a stroke. And the historian cracks up. And Phil, she doesn't break character. She's like, this isn't funny. We're talking about people's lives here. Yeah, she's complete. She plays it really straight. It's it's amazing. She never, it's, she's, never breaks character. Never breaks. She's one of the great kind of character comedians up there with like, you know, British, uh, excuse me, UK uh, folks like Don French and, you know, Joanna Lamley and Jennifer Saunders from Absolutely Fabulous, that that kind of school. She's been doing improv since she was 15. Yeah. So she's been, she's honed her craft very well. And she's been playing Philomena now for, I mean, gosh, what, almost a decade. Yeah. So a lot of U.S. audiences just now are becoming acquainted with her because we're a little behind. Sorry. Yeah, the, um, but, well, it's okay. I mean, I actually, I, I tuned in, I, I was watching... I hate saying during the pandemic because, you know, it, it implies that there was some sort of special time when we could only, we could consume more media than, than other times. But it is true that I did watch Kunk on Britain and uh, Kunk on Christmas in, in 2020. And they're all available. It's all still available on YouTube as are um, our Charlie Brooker's a year end specials. I think they're called something wipes. And there's a lot of Philomena, yeah. Philomena Kunk in, in there as, as well. I mean, look, I think this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on TV. I, you know, I may be alone. And I don't think I'm alone in that because I put this, I put something up about it on, on Facebook and I got, I got a lot of response. People seem to, some people don't like it. Most people really dig it. Um, I got to um, point out my favorite joke from Kunk on Earth is, uh, and it's, it's such a simple joke too, but she, she's talking about Albert Einstein and she, she mentions his famous equation E equals Mc2. It's just, <laughs> it's just, I'm like, why didn't I think of that? It's just such a perfect joke. She makes it sound like a McDonald's combo meal, which is just such a perfect modern response. You know, we're talking about, I think, Viewers like, they respond well to kind of poking fun at these, you know, sort of institutions of Western civilization. And, uh, you know, if a, a lot of 
American audiences, you know, the misperception is that British humor is a little starchy, a little uh, inaccessible, uh, very language based. But this is a perfect opportunity for U.S. audiences to kind of get to know uh, the style of comedy a little bit more. She also is starting a third season. Diane Morgan is starting a third season of her show Mandy, which is kind of more of a character kind of it's more extreme version of Philomena. So uh, it's it's absolutely daft. That, that, that's a plot, you know, that's a plot based, a sort of story based uh, sh- uh, yeah. show. But yeah, but, yes. but there's no question that she'll find more of an audience for it in the States now that, uh, you know, Kunk on Earth is, is such a big hit. You know, and I have to point out, too, that there's a lot of talk about high culture in the show. But every time she mentions classical music or theater or poetry or writing of any kind, she always makes sure to let us know that she thinks it's boring. And boring. Then, and then, boring. Boring. And then it <laughs> it cuts to her looking at her smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> and let's not all let, let's yeah. not forget too the running gag of, of where like at some point in every episode they cut to a clip from Technotronic's uh, song "Pump Up the Jam." Pump up the yeah. I mean, they you literally use clips of the song as a musical seg- segue between these like really somber historical moments. Yeah, every again, episode. that's an example. Context is just everything. I think they made a joke. Uh, Charlie Brooker made a joke that it was going to be like uh, Kate Bush's running up the hill on <laughs> Stranger right. Things. They said it'll be the next running up that hill. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and in the on Kunk on Britain, they used a much more obscure thing for that. They used that joke as well, but it was the um, opening credits to a bad. 1980s uh, sitcom called Brushstrokes. Oh, I'm gonna have to check that out. I'm not familiar. Every episode, yeah, and it and and actually found because because the, the opening credits in the song are so. I mean, Pump Up the Jam is obviously a, a cheesy song, but it is kind of catchy in its own way. Whereas the Brushstrokes theme is just is abysmal. Anyway, listen, Kunk on Earth is on Netflix now. If you haven't tuned into it yet, you will. Uh, Philomena Kunk will become part of your life as she's become part of mine and part of Rachel Llewellyn's and uh, we thank you for for taking our advice. You, you won't regret it. It won't be boring. Alright, thanks Rachel. Kunk on Earth is now airing on Netflix. Poker Face is on Peacock. You can and should watch them both and also thanks to Stephen Garrett for talking to me about Magic Mike's last dance and for keeping his shirt on while he did it. That was very generous of him. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. Thanks for reading the site every day. Thanks for listening to the podcast every week. Thank you for being a friend. We will talk to you soon. You can buy the books discussed on the Book and Film Globe podcast at The Book House, Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to the Bookhouse Milburn, M-I-L-L-B-U-R-N.com to shop online and support small independent booksellers. Or visit our actual physical site in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors featured on The Dark Word and the Book and Film Globe podcast, thebookhousemilburn.com.